actually take care of it all, that we need to take care of some of it too. We're diminishing Jesus. Okay, but when we look at the scriptures, we find over and over that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough. It did fully secure for us salvation for whoever would have faith in him. That means that there's actually nothing more for us to do to earn salvation. It is full dependence on the merit of Christ and full withdrawal from the dependence on our own strength, our own merit. We need to admit that we can't earn it ourselves. We've tried and we've failed. We need Jesus to be the definitive answer. And maybe you're thinking to me, you're sitting there and you're thinking like, of course, Austin. This is, like, this is the good news. I, I know it. I've heard it before. And I just want to acknowledge that even for those that hear it over and over, it's so easy for us to drift into something that isn't true. It's so easy for us to believe a distorted gospel. And that's why we need people like Paul to help us be aware of what we're believing. So if anything, tonight, I just want you guys to think about what is that distorted gospel that I might be believing. And how can I turn now and believe the one true gospel, the gospel of grace? Okay, look at how serious Paul is taking this message. We're going to look at verse 8. He really, really does not want his friends to be deceived by false teaching. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Don't believe anybody if they present to you a gospel that is different from the original one that Paul gave them. A gospel of grace. Don't believe a gospel if it depends on you. It's not worth it. It's powerless. Okay, imagine imagine with me for a moment that... Salt Company ends, you've had a great time, and maybe you meet some new friends, maybe reconnect with old friends. You want to hit up Don's on the way back. You want to hit up, hit up McDonald's. This is a great thing. Uh, me and my friends, we would do this. We would just, like, go to McDonald's, listen to music, eat on, you know, a McDouble, no pickles, no onions, uh, medium fry, and then a Sprite. That is my go-to order. It's very delicious. Uh, the no pickles and the no onions, uh, partially, I just don't really prefer them. Secondly, if you do that, you know it's like a little bit more fresh because if you have like a special request, then they're, you know, they have to prepare it more freshly. I don't know. Okay, uh, you're chilling outside of McDonald's. You're munching on your cheeseburger, your fries, and then all of a sudden you see the clouds open up a little bit. This like bright white thing starts appearing out of the clouds and then boom, Massive ray of light shoots down, and an angel is now standing in front of you. It's towering over you, and all of a sudden you realize that you're on your knees because you're tempted to worship the angel because of how beautiful it is. And the angel says to you, hey, I've got good news. Jesus, he's alive. He's risen from the grave. He's paid for your sins, and that he is now seated at the right hand of God. That means the good news is that you can actually earn your way to heaven. Because of what Jesus has done, you can actually strive harder. You can, you can just work harder to achieve and achieve. And if you achieve enough, then you will be able to live forever with God. Okay, and your response there is, that's BS. 
I'm not buying it. I'm not buying the angel because you've actually got it backwards. That's not good news at all. That's not good news at all because that means it's up to me and I know that I can't earn it. That can't be the gospel that was given to me firstly. I will stand firm in the grace of Christ because I know that I cannot earn it. I need the grace of Christ. The distortions of the gospel, they give us this illusion of control, right? Because we're adding part of us to the equation. And maybe we do it because we actually think that it's too good to be true, that Jesus could actually be enough for me, so I need to contribute more. I need to contribute to my own salvation. It can't be Jesus that is totally enough. And I I just want to say that I'm with you. Uh, Personal moment. Last night, I had to just, like, let this kind of sink into my own heart and let this minister to, like, this message right now, to preparing this message because what I was feeling is this temptation to believe a distorted truth. The temptation to believe that actually uh, it was a mixture of God's grace and a perfect sermon that would change hearts tonight, that would actually like do something cool in this space, that would actually like impact you and help you follow Jesus. I was believing the lie that it was Jesus and So I needed to hear this message for myself because the reality is that a great sermon without the power of God, a great sermon without the spirit moving is just pointless, is powerless. But a terrible sermon with the power of the spirit of the living God is more powerful than anything man could ever create. There's nothing that I could say tonight that's like going to convince belief It's only by the moving of God's spirit that we can be changed. So this was just a sweet reminder of, like, we don't graduate from the gospel. We got to swim in it. Sometimes we say this thing uh, at Salt Company that the gospel is not the diving board. It's the pool. Because we need to swim in it. We need to live in the gospel. It's not just something that we can hear once, but it's something that we need to live in and feed ourselves every day. That we need the grace of Christ. And the grace of Christ allows us to live life with Jesus. So I just want to urge you guys alongside Paul to keep swimming in the grace of God. Believe the gospel of grace that it doesn't depend on you, that Jesus is enough. But maybe, once again, you're sitting there and you're like, Austin, if I shouldn't believe an angel, then why should I believe you? Why should I believe Paul, right? It's a great question. Paul was thinking the same thing. That's why he actually is going to use the rest of this letter to communicate the authority and the power of the gospel through his own story. So he's going to use his own story as like an illustration for the power and the authority of the gospel. Let's look together again at verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, he's talking about the way he received the gospel. He mentioned it during his introduction when he said, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, not from man nor through man, but from from Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's reinforcing this idea that the gospel of Jesus does not belong to man. It's It's not man's gospel, it's God's 
gospel. Nobody dreamt up this plan for salvation that fully depended on God, that fully depended on the death of God's Son. The gospel of grace is not man-made. It was God-made. And Paul's saying that this is uh, it's verifying the authority and the power of the gospel because he knows that the power of a message, the power of a creation is determined by the person who created it. Okay, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about maybe we're at an art fair, okay? And we're walking around this place and we're just like, you know, perusing art, looking at different things that maybe are for sale, some prints that are for sale. And, oh, you walk by and Austin Miller has a booth, an art booth. And you're like, nice, finally, get to see Austin's artwork, get to buy some. You wouldn't actually say that. But it's, it's there for sale. You walk up and you pick up this painting it's this nice, like, skyline picture with a beautiful moon and stars, and you're like, oh, this is so pretty. But then your eyes start to drift, and you see that the table right next to it is actually Vincent Van Gogh's uh, personal exhibit that he's got some prints for sale. So you walk over to that. You're like, sorry, Austin, not that cool. And then you look at Vincent Van Gogh's painting of the starry night. It's literally the starry night, okay? It's this beautiful piece, just like Austin's, a beautiful piece. But why are you, you're going to be more interested in Vincent Van Gogh's piece of art, right? Why? Well, you're going to be captivated by the person of Vincent Van Gogh, and you're going to trust his authority because he's a world-renowned painter, a world-renowned artist. So you're going to actually trust that this value of his painting is more valuable because he himself is a more well-respected artist because the power of the creation is actually influenced by the power of the creator. Okay. This is the same for the gospel message because Paul's saying like, guys, I didn't create the message. Paul didn't create the message. He's saying, I got it straight from God. So the authority actually comes from God for the gospel message. And he's, he wants to prove it a little bit further using his testimony. So this is now verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Okay, so Paul is now just laying out the logic of the sequence of events that led to him preaching, and he's He's trying to communicate this message that his preaching could not have been because of man-made teaching. He received the message of Christ through a revelation, and then he never was with another apostle for three years. Think about that for a second. This message that he was preaching, he never confirmed it until three years later with another preacher, but it was the same message. It's because he got it straight from God. It happened through an encounter 
with God the Son, which allowed him to preach the good news of Jesus without even confirming it with another preacher. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, Austin, I've never had this encounter with God where he's like actually spoken the gospel to me. So like, what does that mean for all the times that I've heard the gospel? If it's only by the power of God that it can happen, then what about me? If I've only heard it, heard it being preached by people like you, how can I trust it? And I just want to say, like, here's the deal. There is nothing special, like I was saying earlier, like nothing that I could say that's actually going to convince you of belief. There's nothing I could say to lay out all the facts so that it would influence belief. There's nothing special about me or even special about Salt Company. That's going to change you. It's only, it is only the act of God actually opening up your eyes to see who Jesus is and to want to follow him. It's not about a perfectly constructed argument or presenting all of the perfect information that will allow you to see the beauty of Jesus. It's about God opening your eyes to see him for who he really, who he really is. But the sweet thing is that we believe that that can happen. Like, that's so many of the people in this room. That's, that's our story, hearing the gospel, hearing the gospel for years on end even. But then there was that moment where God opens the eyes, and we see Jesus for who he really is. And so that's what I'm praying for tonight, that God would actually open your eyes to see him for, he, for who he really is. And Paul's life is a, de- a demonstration of this saving power of Jesus. He had his eyes opened when he saw Jesus for who he really was. After he had been preaching Christ in various places, this is what people were talking about. This is now verse 23. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. God turns persecutors into preachers. The evidence of Paul's life proves the redeeming power of Jesus. He didn't go from a persecutor just to a man who is filled with shame and sort of remorseful for all of the things that he had done. No, he actually became a man that fought against the persecution of the church. He did a, a total 180 degree turn and he went from a persecutor to one that was preaching the faith that he was trying to destroy earlier. God turns persecutors into preachers. And you don't have to have a story quite like Paul, but you can actually be given the same type of turn radius. Because that man turned on a dime, a a full 180 flip. He was confronted with his sin as he met Jesus, and he turned so quick and ran in the opposite direction. So what is the deep part? What's that deep part that the Spirit is even revealing now that you need to, like, Open up to God and turn. Maybe you aren't a persecutor of the church, but maybe you are addicted to pornography. Okay, the power of the gospel gives you a turn radius like Paul. You don't need to be someone living in shame, hiding your sin, but you can actually have the power of the gospel allow you to live in full authenticity, being honest about your baggage, and confidently pursue purity. Maybe you aren't breathing threats against your enemies, 
but maybe you do push people down with your words. Maybe you push people down with, like, insensitive jokes or even just, like, the thought patterns in your mind. The power of the gospel allows you to turn and pursue peacemaking and reconciliation. And you can actually now start using these thought patterns and words to encourage people to lift them up in honor and dignity. If you're someone that's caught up in sexual sin defined by your sexual identity and letting that box you into shame and insecurity, the, bo- the power of the gospel offers you a new identity. Fully loved, fully approved of in Christ. Affirmed because you are a son and daughter of the king. This is the redeemed world that Jesus is bringing. He's bringing it one person at a time. Just like Paul, the gospel came to Paul on its way to somebody else. The gospel came to Paul so that he could give it to the church in Galatia and them to another person and then to another person. One link in the, ch- in the chain at a time and somehow we get here. The gospel maybe came to me so that it would come to you and you to someone else. The gospel keeps moving that way and that's how the redeemed world of Jesus comes. Guys, Paul was killing Christians. He was hunting down places like this, but through an encounter with Jesus, he began preaching a faith that he was once trying to destroy. And what did the people say around him? Let's look at verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. Guys, when people start seeing miraculous works of God in your life, I think they're going to begin to glorify God because of you. When your friends see you go from being captive to sexual immorality to actually living in full honesty about your baggage, intentionally pursuing purity through community, trying to now pursue giving love and honor and respect to image bearers, I think that people will praise God because of you. If your friends see you leave your old life of drinking and drug abuse to pursue a life of welcoming the stranger and cultivating deep relationships, I think that they will praise God because of you. If your friends see that you are no longer insecure about your identity, but see the confidence and worth that you found in Christ, I think that people will praise God because of you. When we spend our lives focusing on the achievement of Christ and seeing ourselves in that reality, it changes everything. Because not only will we be changed, but the world around us will be changed. But this is how it starts. It starts with us believing the one true gospel, the gospel of grace. That Jesus came to save sinners. He came for you. He came for me. He took your place. He has decisively paid for all the junk in your life. He traded the bad for the good. And if you're in Christ, you are freely and forever forgiven in him. The only response for us now is a life of worship, giving glory to God who saves. Will you pray with me? Father, thanks for this, this reality that, um, yeah, that you're enough for us. Thanks for that reminder uh, for me, even last night, God, that you're enough for 
all the baggage in my life. Um, Yeah, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to us through your spirit the ways that we distort gospels. Even just in this time, in this room, Spirit, would you make it clear what ways we need to turn from the ways that we're distorting the gospel and just accept the gift of your grace in our life, Lord. Father, thanks for changing the life of Paul. Thanks for turning him completely upside down, giving him a new identity and uh, changing even what he was doing with his hands going from a persecutor to a preacher. Father, thank, thank you that that's true for us. That no matter where we're at, God, you give us a sweet vision for how we can live for your glory, God. I pray that you do that tonight. Give us a sweet vision for what it means to live for your glory and not for ourselves, Lord. God, be glorified in this worship now. Be glorified as we continue to go through this book, Lord be glorified in our communities, and yeah, would you receive all the praise tonight. We love you. Amen.